Get your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. All right, now, as you guys are getting yourselves kind of flipped over to that, uh, you've probably all heard the phrase before, um, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. You've heard that before, right? You know, maybe you, maybe you thought of that when you were considering a, a job change or, or, or a career change, and you're like, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for, for quite a while. I, I need a change of scenery. It's, it's time to move on, okay? Or, or maybe you've been in, like, a, a debate with somebody, or maybe it's been an argument with your spouse or something like that at home, and, and, and your spouse is just going on and on and on, belaboring that point over and over, and you're like, I get it, buddy. Just move on already, right? Just move on from your point. Let's get to something different, please, for the love, right? Or maybe for you, it's, you know, your favorite, your favorite band breaks up, or, you know, it's a, you know, a celebrity divorce hits the news, and, and you hear them say it. You hear them say it. It's just, it was just time to move on. It's time to move on. Okay, well, our passage today shows us um, that very thing, but kind of from the other end of it, how crucial it is uh, for us as the church, as Christ followers, uh, to never move on when it comes to the truth of the gospel, to never move away from it, never swerve, never leave that at all. Now, the reality is, though, we all do it. We all, we all move on from it in, in certain ways. We try and, we try and fill our, our deepest longings with, with things of the world. We, we attempt to perfect ourselves through our, our moral or religious performance to God. When, when the gospel tells us what? It tells us that Jesus gives us everything we will ever need, period. Right? He gives us everything. And it's the, it's the gospel that, that states this very clearly to us and, and reminds us of this when we forget. Not if we forget, but when we do. The gospel is the, the remarkable news that, that propels us forward as Christ followers to, to functioning optimally. Functioning optimally in, in just day-to-day life and operating well as Christians. I mean, do you not want that? Do you want life to be full of joy and to relate to your Lord and to relate to life uh, in all kinds of different ways? You want to do that well? Of course you do. Okay, we should never move on, never move on from the gospel. Okay, so let's read this now. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God, uh, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Lord, we come before you. And God, we again, just continue to cry out for more of the same, more of the same thing that we cry out every Sunday and and hopefully every day too, Lord. We need you. God, we need your spirit to move in our hearts. We want and and cry out for your spirit to move uh, in this church, Lord, among your people. Lord, as we get God's word open and as we teach through it and as we look at it and figure out how to apply this to our lives, Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us so richly. And God, as we all struggle and as, all, as we all stray and forget the gospel and kind of leave it in the rearview mirror and try and do all kinds of things on our own to try and impress you, thus forgetting the good news of the gospel that you, are, you already accept us through your son Jesus, Lord, I pray that, um, again, you would continue to cram this into the, the darkest corners of our hearts. Lord, give us a, a deep love for Jesus that that motivates all obedience, motivates all of life. God, would you help us? Would you help us? We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I will never move on from the truth of the gospel. I will never move on from it. Okay, Paul has been, he's been pressing this point Okay, through the entire letter. And newsflash, he's not done. We're going to be talking about this all the way through to the end. And what we're going to see here today, and as we've been seeing, he continues to, to kind of peel back the layers as to the why. Why do we not stray away from the gospel? Here's the first thing. Okay, you've got notes there. It'll be on the screen. Okay, because it's not only how I come to Christ, but it's the key to my growth as well. It's the key to my growth as well. This is huge, huge for us. Okay, verse one, take a look at this as we walk through these verses. Okay, verse one, Paul says this, oh foolish Galatians. Okay, so he's getting off to an intense start, right? Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, so Paul, he continues to express bewilderment and even frustration, as we've seen kind of right out of the gate in this letter, as early as, you know, chapter one, okay, with these Galatian people. Why? Because they were, they were moving on from where they once stood. They were moving on from all of that. He calls them, he calls them foolish. He says that they've been bewitched is the word there. It means deluded. You guys are, you guys are a bunch of suckers. You guys are getting duped. And of course, this is all from the false teachers. False teachers were getting their hands in there and they were teaching a gospel of, of works. You've got to earn your salvation. Um, it doesn't just come by grace through faith. But Paul, again, he reminds them of the gospel here. He says this, he says, it was before your eyes, take a look, before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He was publicly portrayed as that. He says, and you believed it. Right at one point, you're like, yeah, I received Jesus. He is my savior. In, the, in that, I stand. Okay, but over time, they were like, I, I'm going to walk away from, from that spot, and I'm going to now take the, kind of take the reins uh, myself here, 
and uh, do things how I want to do it. Their actions were no longer in line with what they claimed to believe, to borrow some of the terminology from, from last week's passage. Okay, they claimed to believe something, but their actions weren't backing it up. Now keep going. Okay, he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so what he does is he asks them a rhetorical question where the answer is supposed to be super obvious. And so he kind of sets this up as like a door, door number one, door number two kind of scenario here. So he says, door number one, did you receive the Spirit? In other words, did you get saved? Did you, were you justified? Were you declared righteous and clean and accepted by God and, and all of that by hearing through your works and your effort and your ability to keep the law? Okay, that's kind of door number one. Or, or door number two, did you receive the Spirit? Did you get saved, receive the Spirit? That's what he means by getting saved there. Okay, by, by simply hearing the gospel and trusting by faith that Jesus did it all for you. Okay, so what's the obvious answer here? Door number two, right? Door number two, uh, for sure. Okay, you, don't get, you don't get saved, you don't receive the Spirit, as, as Paul puts it here, by, by works. You, you receive the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Right? They, would have, they would have read all of this in the letter. Remember, this came to them as a letter, and they would have read it together as a church. And they would have been like, all right, I'm tracking with you, Paul. Right? I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down here, for sure. I get it. Okay? But then look what he says here next, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish, having begun... Keyword, having begun by the Spirit, are you now, okay, are you now being perfected or completed by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, do you realize what Paul is saying here? When, when I first kind of realized and recognized what this verse was talking about, honestly, it hit me like a sledgehammer. This was massive for me. This was so huge. Okay, he's confronting them because, again, they started off right. They had once trusted Christ alone for their, for their justification, which is, which is great. But now guess what? They were trusting in their works to achieve their sanctification. Do you see how that was happening? Now listen, listen, we are all guilty of this mistake. Okay, Paul is telling us very clearly here, and this is massive for us as the church here today, that the gospel isn't just how to get saved, how to be justified. It's also the key to your growth. It's also the key to your sanctification if you are a Christ follower. He says here in verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies, okay, so this is present tense, talking about sanctification here. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you. Again, this is all present tense, right? So post-salvation. Does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So in other words, does, does the Spirit of God work in our lives performing, performing miracles and, and answering prayers that we have and, and, and encouraging our hearts when we're down and, and healing us when we, when we are broken and drawing us back to him when we are lost? Does he do that as Christ followers because somehow our, our works and our, our moral efforts convince him that he better do it? No, of course not. Listen, so many of us, listen, so many of us operate as though that's how the Christian life works. That's how we live once we get saved. 
And so we think, well, I, I better come to church now. And, and now, and we twist it so easily. And, you know, now that I come to church and I've been reading my Bible pretty well and I'm trying to get my family here and I, I, I pray and I'm trying to be a, you know, a good husband or a good wife and all of that. Now we like, now God owes me, right? Now he, he owes me the comfortable life that I want. He owes me the answers to my prayers. He, he owes me that, that person in my family that, that has wandered off from the faith and that they come back and we try and, we try and almost like manipulate God. We, we treat it as a workspace thing. God, look what I'm doing, dancing and performing over here. Are you impressed? Lord, are you not entertained? To quote a movie. Right, that's how we, we do it. We think, we think yeah, Jesus Jesus saves me by his blood. That's entirely a work that, that I merely receive by faith. But, but from here on out, it's, you know, the onus is on me to achieve my growth. Is that how you operate as a Christian? Right? I, I, I better do it. I, I got to perfect, as Paul says here, or, or complete myself through my, my moral, my religious, my, my righteous efforts. Listen, church, we need to understand that, that by grace, you have been saved. You have been justified. We've been talking about that a lot. But on top of that, or and, by grace, you are sanctified and you grow. Okay, my entire salvation, your entire salvation from, from start to finish, the finish line being when we are face-to-face -face with our Lord and Savior, listen, the entire thing is a work of the Lord by his grace. We don't earn it ever. We never do. At no point do we. To think that we can is, listen, it's to move on from the gospel. It's to walk away from it. It's by grace. Now, now check out this quote on the screen. It says this, Christians think that, that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. But we are not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. Right, love that, that's so good. Right, in other words, Christians basically tend to kind of operate like this. They tend to think, well, sweet, Jesus saved me, that's pretty awesome. Right? I've got heaven you know, going for me at some point anyway, so now I guess I gotta just kind of live my life trying really hard to be like Jesus. Right? And that's the overall mentality and thrust uh, of our life. And that's kind of how we think. I, I, it's, now it's on me. Right now, I've got to do the work. Okay, so if I struggle with, with gossip, for example, let's, let's, let's kind of target that one. If I struggle through gossip and I realize that needs to go, I need to change in, in that area. If we're legalistic Christians moving away from the gospel, the motive of our heart tends to be to try, and, to, to try not to gossip. Why? Well, I realize that I shouldn't do that, so I'm going to try not to now. Okay, and, and, I, and I'm going to combine that maybe with just asking the Lord, just take it away from me, Lord. Just remove the sin from my life. Would you please do that? And we kind of we go through all of that. But do you see how that's kind of trying to follow a law in order to be transformed, in order to grow? I need to follow a rule. I need to measure up to this rule. And I need to be a good person. And the better that I try and do that and do all of that well, maybe, maybe that's the way that I grow and I get better. Okay, what that is, it's a, it's a reliance on my, on my ability to behave as the thing that changes me and transforms me, all right? It's being perfected in the flesh, as Paul says. 
It's a, it's a works-based approach to our sanctification. It's, it's a works-based cro- uh, approach to our, to our growth and what the Christian life is. And it, it's, it's a really subtle but deadly way that we just move on from the gospel and we leave it over there. Okay, so how does, how does real keeping in step with the gospel, spirit-fueled growth happen? Right? How, how do we actually change? And how do we see some of these sins disappear? And how do we actually become like Jesus because the spirit himself is working in me and, and, and he's holding the reins of my sanctification and he is doing the work. And it's not a passive thing where I do nothing. Obviously, there's some kind of involvement I have. So how do we get there? How do we do this? Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, the spirit works as Christians don't rely on their own works, but rather consciously and continuously rest in Christ alone for their acceptability and completeness. Paul links the spirit and the gospel in the most inseparable terms. The spirit works as you apply and use the gospel. Love that. Okay, so let's go back to our example of of gossip. Okay, let's just stick with that one here. But I mean, you can apply this to, to any issue, any problem in your life, any sin, any disobedience whatsoever. You can apply this. But again, we'll stick with gossip to try and hopefully keep it a little bit more simple. First thing, we need to be willing to think a little bit more deeply about these things than we tend to. We need to really kind of get below the, the surface and the symptoms of our gossip and, and, and all of that and start to think down into the roots Okay, we tend to, you know, kind of gossip, right? We, we have some juicy tidbit that we, we feel we need to share with somebody. And then, you know, we kind of, we realize it's wrong. And oh yeah, the Bible says that we probably shouldn't do that. And, and so maybe we confess that, right? And we may or may not even care, right? We may or may not even have any kind of godly sorrow about that whatsoever. We just know in our heads that we shouldn't do it. Right? And then maybe we probably, we probably try harder next time. Well, next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm just going to hold on to it. Okay? And we kind of just, I think, hope it goes away. Right? Maybe the Lord will just kind of do something. And, and it's not to say that the Lord doesn't do things in those situations. He, he can and he does. Okay? But it's not the ideal way. And we never want to wander away from the truth of the gospel and all of that. Okay? Applying and using the gospel, to borrow from Tim Keller's quote there, is when you and I, we think down to, to the root, the heart motives of, uh, of why we gossip. You know, why, why do we do it? Okay, so if you think about this, okay, what are the typical heart issues at the core of the sin of gossip? Well, I think for one, we, we love the sense of control. We love that. I know something about somebody and I love that that makes me feel like I'm up here and they're down there. And we revel in that. We love it. It, it, it gives us a sense of power. That's another thing. I feel like I'm, I'm better than that person. I can control them. I've got power that I can exert over them now. There's, there's a, a sick sense of pleasure that we get out of that by making somebody else look dumb in front of other people. And so we gossip and we, and we slander we love the, the sense of acceptance that we get from the people that we're gossiping to, right? And just look at them. They're lapping this up, and, and they so approve of, of what I'm telling them right now. Right? You see how that is at the root of gossip? It's not just that your, your mouth says some words that aren't very nice, 
at the core of your heart, there are some seriously whack things going on. You sense that? It's gross, right? It's gross. Now we begin to truly change when we recognize that at all of these root motives, it's how our heart is trying to complete ourselves. Paul uses the word why? Perfect. It's how we try to perfect ourselves. He says it in in verse three, meaning this, that somewhere deep inside ourselves, okay, we sense that we are in some way incomplete and that control, that that power that we love, that, that, that pleasure that we feel when we gossip over someone, we sense that those things will bring us an inner sense of completion, right? If, if I do these, now I will feel like I am whole. Those things will, will perfect me. Listen, we counteract this and we usher in the, you know, spirit, the Spirit's heart-transforming power, and we actually grow when we apply the gospel message directly to where our heart is not believing it. You see in this gossip example how your heart just does not believe the gospel at all? Right? The gospel tells us that, that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is the one who completes us and perfects us by his grace. The sin of gossip is, is never going to fulfill you, that, that, that's never going to give you the, the joy that your heart seeks at all. It is empty. It is broken. Your heart will continue to rot the more that you give into it. Not to mention you were driving a, a wedge of disunity between yourself and other relationships. You are harming the church, the church that Christ died for. No sin, no disobedience, no idol, no nothing will ever fulfill you. It will never perfect you. Only Jesus does. You have to insert the gospel in that place and remind yourself, you know what? I'm not in control. Lord, would you forgive my sense of this warped, perverted sense of control that I feel over this person? Lord, would, I, would, I, would my heart love that you were in control and that you died to rescue me from a sin like this, that, that the pleasure that my heart truly wants is found in you? So listen, whether your sin is, is gossip or, or it's lust or it's anger or it's drunkenness or it's laziness or it's all of the above and more, listen, don't move on from the gospel. First of all, by, by continuing to give, to kind of give in to, to thinking that these sins, these things will, will give you that sense of perfection that you crave. These things won't perfect you. They, they will not complete you. Again, you need to repent of all of this. Looking to these these false saviors, that's a really good way of looking at it. These are false saviors that will never accomplish what, what only Christ, your true Savior, has already accomplished and will give you. And then secondly, don't move on from the gospel by, by thinking that you can grow as a Christ follower through your works, through your flesh-filled attempts of perfecting yourself and behaving correctly. Okay, repent of that desire that you have. I have it too. We all have it to be our own saviors. We're self-saviors as well. Only Jesus saves. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. End of story. That is it. I will never move on from the gospel because number two, it reminds me that righteousness is received by faith, not earned. It's received by faith, not earned. Now, you might have noticed here, well, hang on a second. Haven't we talked about some of these things before? We've talked about the gospel. Yeah, you bet we have. 
and we're going to continue to, but we're kind of coming at it from different angles every single week, and we're looking at the same glorious truth that Jesus Christ died to save us from sin. We simply receive that. We're looking at how that applies to all areas. Okay, take a look at verse 6 here. Look what he says. He says, just as, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, does it kind of feel like he just took a vicious left out of nowhere? Like, oh, oh okay, now all of a sudden we're talking about Abraham. You're right? not really sure where that came from, uh, really at all. Why, why go there? Well, you got to remember the context here and what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with these Judaizers, these, these false teachers who are getting in there and trying to drag people, this, this Galatian church, back to a gospel of works, okay, to be, to be truly accepted by God. Faith in Jesus is great, but that's only part of it. You need to also get circumcised. You need to not eat these foods. You need to, you know, the list goes on. Okay, but Paul's like, I love this. He's like, fine, you want to go there? great, I can go there all day. I can, I can go to the law. Let's, I'll, you know, I'll show you that, that Abraham, okay, the father of the Jews, okay, the, the original guy here, would actually agree with me. Okay? He would agree with me on what salvation uh, really was and really what it's really all about. Right? What a genius move. Right? Paul, he's just taking out the big old axe and he's just hacking down. Okay? He is hacking down the argument the, the beliefs of these, of these false teachers. Okay, and so he takes us back to Genesis chapter 15. You can actually jot that down. We're not going to turn over there. Okay, this is what he refers to here with Abraham. And he explains that Abraham's salvation, Abraham's righteousness, was never attributed to him because of his works. Okay, it, it was never about that. In Genesis 15, we learn that, that God made a covenant with Abraham. His name was Abram at the time. His name would later change okay, to Abraham, promising him that, that he would be his God and that his descendants would be you know, more numerous than the stars of the sky. That's what he promised Abraham. Now, the crazy thing about all of this is that was, was Abraham a young guy? No, Abraham was ancient. Right? He, he was 99 years old. Right? He was 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90 Okay, so, so not exactly in their prime childbearing years, right? Not at all. And so Abraham looked at this, 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 this promise that seemed impossible. Okay, and how did, he, how did he handle that? Okay, Paul quotes Genesis 15 verse 6 when he says here in our passage that Abraham believed God. Okay, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so, so Abraham's righteousness, all right, it wasn't something that he earned through his morality or, or, or something like that. It says that he what? It says that he believed God, meaning that he, by faith, okay, by faith, trusted God's promise to give him a child, a child of his very own, through his wife, Sarah, and then many more after that. And it says that it was counted, that's an important word, it was credited, if you will, to him as righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, to be clear here, all right, his faith wasn't itself some meritorious act that earned him his salvation. Some people will look at that and be like, well, his faith really impressed God. And so there, therefore, God said, oh, okay, uh, now you're saved. That's not the way it works. It doesn't say that his faith was righteousness. It says that his faith, his belief, was counted as if, or as if it was righteousness. 
Okay, so God credits righteousness to him, his, his spiritual bank account, uh, so to speak, here, meaning that, that God is, is awarding a legal status upon Abraham and treating him as though he were righteous, even though functionally, practically speaking, on a ground level, uh, he was still sinful. That's what justification is. And the same thing goes for, for you and I. It's the same thing for us. God declares us righteous as we trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He treats us as though we did what Jesus did. Even though practically, we've still got sin in our hearts and we've still got you know, a long way to go. You feeling that? We've still got a long way to go in terms of our, in terms of our sanctification. Okay, it's what... It's what Luther said. He put it well when he said that we're simultaneously righteous and sinful. That's how, that's how we are. We're declared clean by God. Right? We're declared clean by him the moment that we trust Jesus for the first time and, and get saved. We're declared clean. But, but practically speaking, we're still sinful and, and we are in need, desperate need of God's spirit to move and transform us and work in us and make us more like his perfect son. You know, take a look at verse 7. Paul continues here. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, foreshadowing to us. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul's doing here is he's striking a, a fatal blow to these false teachers. He's like, salvation was, listen, it was never about works. Your hearts got it all twisted up and you, you saw the law and you saw all these rules and you think, well, if I just kind of do my best, maybe that will be enough to get God to let me into heaven someday and, 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 make sure, and, and say that we're all, we're all good between, between he and us. It was never all about that at all. That's not what it was. We're going to talk about the the law more next week, I believe, and, and how do we as Christians deal with the law now? Right? How, how do we appropriate this and relate to it properly and, and all of that? We're going to get into all of it. But here, Abra, sorry, Paul is saying that salvation was never about works. It was always about faith. It was always about believing God. So he's like, enough already. Enough already, these are the false teachers, with, with bringing people back into slavery, bringing back the, to the, the law, and, and making that this system of salvation. That's, that's never going to work. That was never the intention. That, that was never God's plan from the very beginning. See, I'm showing you your first father, Abraham, would agree with me. Take that. Right? That's what he's saying. You cannot earn this. You simply receive it. It's like, never forget it. Never, never move on from that. Look, we're going through a lot of weighty material here, aren't we? Right? We are, like, as they say, swimming in the deep end, if you will. There's nothing fluffy about all of this. And I get it. Like, it's a lot to kind of process. And, and maybe for you, you're realizing for the first time, like, wow, I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, I am relying on my works to try and perfect me as a Christ follower. And, and I forget about the gospel. And you're trying to think through what are all the different ways that, that I do that. And all of that is great. And all of that is necessary. And all of that is imperative that we do that. Right? It really is. But let's not forget 
that the core response at all of this, as we come face to face with the gospel and we realize who Jesus is and what he has done for us and the true, the new reality that is ours each and every day, let us not forget that the core response is to worship. It's worship. If for us, if for us it's just a mental exercise. We're like, I, I got to think, make sure that I'm acting and behaving properly. We're, we're, we're kind of missing it. Our hearts need to be engaged by this. We need to thank the Lord for what he has done. We need to praise him. We need to be like, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for being so gracious to me when I continue to go back to this, this dirty, filthy well, and I try to look to my performance and all of that to try and bring me completion and perfection. Lord, would you forgive me of this? Thank you, Lord, for your grace that exists for me that is new every single day. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you are not done with me yet. That you're not going to cast me aside just because I make a mistake here and I make many, many, many of them. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your generosity and your kindness and your love, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. As you think through the gospel and its many implications for life, and hopefully you're seeing that, make sure that you worship him and you pause wherever you are not just at church, not just during a sermon, not just during singing, at home, anywhere. Worship him. Thank him in gratitude. I mean, Christ doesn't just toss me aside because I failed again and again and again this week. Nope. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He's secured a salvation, and, he's, and he is working in you. It's slower than we would all like. We're not all where we would love to be, but God is on the move. He is doing things. Let's praise him for it. I will never move on from the gospel. Last thing, because it shows me how awful it actually is to rely on my flawed works. Bad plan, right? Just awful plan, okay? So we just, Paul's just reminds us here to live by faith like Abraham did. Now he gives us the only other option. If you refuse to live by faith, guess what? This is where you stand. Here it is, verse 10. For all who rely on, okay, that's a really important phrase there. You might want to underline that. Okay, it means to trust in. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, we don't just like throw the word curse around very lightly, do we, these days? Right? That's probably a heads up. Whoa, he's talking about some serious things here. Right? We're under a curse if we rely on works of the law. For it is written, cursed be everyone, not some, everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified by, uh, before God by the law, for the righteous shall, here it is, live by faith. Live by is a huge thing. This is what Abraham did, of course. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Okay, here's what Tim Keller has to say about that, those two words, live by. To live by something means to rely on it for our happiness and fulfillment. Whatever we live by is essentially the bottom line of our lives, what gives us meaning, confidence, and definition. And so, so Paul's saying here, he's like, he's like, all right, go for it. Rely on, live by your works if, if you really want to. Go ahead. But just know that if you do that, understand that you will be cursed. You will be cursed for that. If, and what does that mean? Well, if you're an unbeliever, you'll be cursed with, with separation from God forever. If you don't trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, it means that your sin is still held against you and you're cursed with separation 
unless, unless you can manage to somehow follow the entire law perfectly. Okay? Because God's standard is perfection. God's standard isn't good. It's certainly not good enough. It's, it's perfection. Because to be in a relationship with him, to, to go to heaven, all of that means you need to be perfect. Because sin separates. Now, can any of us obey the law perfectly? No, we're terrible at it. Right? We, we're awful at it. We're, we're, we're flawed. We, we can't even follow the Ten Commandments, let alone the entire law. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament, and we can't even follow, we can't even follow one of them. Right now, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, and, and you functionally rely on or live by your flawed works for your, you know, your happiness, your fulfillment, your meaning, your confidence, your definition, as, as Keller talks about, your identity, all of that. If you're relying on your works to inform all of those things, it says that, you're, it says that you too are cursed. Okay, not in the same way as, as an unbeliever. Okay, you won't be separated from, from God for eternity but cursed in the sense that you will never truly find those things. You will never find that, that happiness your soul craves because you're filling it with the wrong things. That fulfillment that you are created to long for and find fulfilled in Christ, when you're trying to find that in money and cars and women and sex and all of that, listen, you're going to be hollow and you're going to be empty. Your, you know, your life's deepest meaning, you're going to find it, it, it falls short, it's... it's it's dry, it's dust. You're not going to have confidence anymore because you're resting it in things that fall short and fall apart. Your works, your failures, all of it. You're never going to find those things. You'll only ever feel pain probably at some level on, a, on your heart. Again, a, a sense of hollowness. You'll be overly sensitive when you don't get these things. You'll be fearful and you'll be driven by fear in a lot of different ways. You'll, you'll be purposeless. Like, what is life all about? I thought it was about these things. Well, it's because you're not finding your hope in Jesus. You'll you maybe be angry deep down in your core. Why am I such a furious person all the time and I'm constantly losing it? And you just kind of get a sense here of, of misery. That's, that's kind of the curse that he's talking about here. You'll never find your fulfillment if you're relying on your, on your works. That's an awful way to live. It's a, to it's a terrible way uh, to go through life. And again, it's because you're not holding on to what Christ has already done for you. You have moved on from the gospel. And you're trying to find it in, in something else. And that's why Paul, continually through this, and here in verse 13, he reiterates what Christ has done for us. Take a look here. He says, Christ redeemed us. He freed us from the curse of the law. He became that curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So being hung on a tree in those days was a sign that you were cursed. Okay, and he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to you and I, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith. Well, I'm going to have our worship team come up right now. And we are going to sing in just a few moments. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to take communion together. We're going to remember uh, Christ's broken body and his shed blood.
That's what communion is. It's remembering the gospel. It's remembering uh, what he has done, reminding ourselves that as his followers, as his church, on the cross, he became the curse so that you and I don't have to. That is awesome, right? That is incredible. Let's glory in that. Let's glory in that, not just today, but every day. Let's go for it.